0: Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at GetPuroAir.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, GetPuroAir.com. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Headlines. Here on these Friday Headlines episodes, I'm taking the environmental news you need to know, and I am condensing it. Synthesizing it and bringing it to you in 15 minutes or less. I've got a good amount of good news for you today. So let's just get right into story number one, which is landmark legislation coming out of New York State. New York State has just banned gas stoves in all new buildings, so new construction. It is the first of such bans at the state level, and that's why it's a really big deal. So what does the law say? The law that, again, was just passed requires all electric heating and cooking in new buildings that are shorter than seven stories by the year 2026. For taller buildings, seven stories or more, they have until 2029 to go all electric for their heating and cooling. So no more gas stoves. There are indeed exemptions for manufacturing facilities and restaurants and hospitals and car washes, but this is big, right? This legislation could help reshape how Americans heat and cook in their homes in the coming decades. What interests me about this law is that, of course, we all know, right, we are not passing this much needed legislation at the federal level, but we have been doing it at the city level and the county level for a while now. Dozens of cities and counties have already adopted bans on gas hookups and new buildings. And now, thanks to New York, we're doing it at the state level. That is inspiring to see. Now, of course, this will likely face a Court challenge from the fossil fuels industry. So stay tuned for that. The outcome will serve as a test of states' power when it comes to banning fossil fuels. Next up, we're going to climate change and coffee. Do you love your morning cup of coffee? I do. I enjoy two (laughs) morning cups of coffee every single day. And The types of coffee that most of us drink, the vast, vast majority of us drink are, of course, Arabica and Robusta. However, these trees, the Arabica and the Robusta, they have severe trouble surviving in extreme heat. If they don't get enough rain, thanks to drought, the cherries on the trees don't form properly. And I should say here too that, well, the vast majority of us know only these two species of coffee. There are more than 100 species that grow in the wild. Enter Liberica excelsa. It is a species of coffee that better withstands heat and drought and disease, connoisseurs say it has a very smooth taste. It's perfect for easy drinking. It has a heavy aroma and has less caffeine than those two varieties that we know and love. Now, Liberica excelsa is native to tropical Central Africa, and it's been around for thousands of years. It was cultivated for a little bit in the 19th century before petering out. And it's petered out really because it's not in demand. As consumers, we want our Arabica. Some of us want our Robusta. And so these days, growers just kind of mix it into bags of low-priced Robusta because nobody notices. But this year... This is the first year in recent history where growers are trying to sell it to the world under its true name, which again is Liberica excelsa. Now, a couple things here. This species of coffee is harder to grow. The trees grow very, very tall, and so you need ladders to cultivate. These trees need frequent pruning. And so there might be higher prices for excelsa coffee, But be on the lookout next time you're in the coffee aisle for bags labeled, again, Liberica Excelsa. Now, if you love coffee and you want to educate yourself about the ethical and environmental implications of our morning cup or cups of joe, I did an episode on this and we went down and dirty. We went real deep. It was episode number 230 the title was a better cup of ethical coffee. I'll link to it in the show notes if you haven't listened to it yet, but ton of information there if you're ever on Jeopardy and there's a question about coffee, I've got you covered. We're moving on to discussing a often overlooked but highly effective way of preserving our world's forests and particularly our rainforests and that of course are the guardians, the indigenous peoples who have long lived there and have long protected these important ecosystems. A recent global study found that across the tropics, indigenous lands had 20% less deforestation than non-protected areas. Now, this is consistent with past research that found the exact same thing. Research from 2016 found that deforestation rates Inside lands that are controlled by indigenous communities in Bolivia, Brazil, and Colombia were two to up to three times lower than lands outside of these indigenous controlled areas. So why? I mean, it probably comes as no surprise to anybody that indigenous peoples care for their land better than the rest of us trying to care for their land, right? Indigenous peoples tend to, and this is a gross generalization, but Indigenous peoples do tend to have a fundamentally different view of the natural world. They see humans as living in and with nature, as opposed to the way that our culture views nature, which is it's there for us to use. It's there for us to exploit. Nature is there for us to take from. It's a fundamental different view way of viewing nature and the environment. The Kajang people of Indonesia is just one example, but they rely on substance agriculture. There is no industry to speak of. There's no commerce. There's no commercialization of the land's bounty. Cutting trees and hunting animals and even pulling up grass is prohibited on most of the land. They view the rainforest as their source of life. They care for it like they would a relative, like an elder even. And so this new research suggests that if you give land rights to indigenous communities, these communities will indeed be remarkably effective custodians of the land, much more effective than our political leaders, right? And so perhaps policy may now begin to shift in recognition of the role that these communities play when we talk about preserving ecosystems. So far, up until now, Indigenous tribes have received very little legal and financial backing. A 2021 report found that over the past 10 years, Indigenous peoples have received less than 1% of donor funding to fight deforestation, However, at the UN Climate Change Conference in 2021, COP26, world leaders did pledge $1.7 billion of funding for these communities. So after the break, we're going to talk about a quick win with regard to combating climate change. It has to do with Deploying sun blocking mist into the atmosphere during a heat wave. It's very science fiction. And so it's really important information, and I want you to stick around for sure. However, I wanted to highlight this story today because, you know, we're all about big and new and bright and flashy technology solutions, but perhaps a big part of the solution with regard to protecting our environment and therefore. Addressing climate change is much simpler. Perhaps it goes down to respecting the land and understanding that there are peoples who know so much more about preserving the land than we do. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to get into today's feature story. It is science fiction-esque, and it has everything to do with solar geoengineering. We'll be back in a minute. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high-quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game-changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Before the break, we discussed new New York legislation. We discussed coffee and we discussed the ancient wisdom of indigenous peoples Now we're on to the sci-fi portion of today's show, which is solar geoengineering. It may indeed be a quick fix climate solution. It could also perhaps trigger major conflicts and mass migrations in the coming years. So we'll get to that in a minute, but let's back up. Let's talk about solar geoengineering for a minute. First of all, let me just say it is all theoretical at this point, This is not happening yet, but here is how it could and may go. Sulfur aerosol is put on some planes. Uh, The planes take off. The planes go into the air. And once in air, the planes mist sulfur aerosol into the air during a heat wave, and it will block the sun's heat. This promises to be a relatively cheap and super Fast respite from the heat. Sounds great, right? Our nation's leaders deploy their air forces to dispel a sun blocking mist into the atmosphere. The sun blocking mist bounces back the sun rays. It sounds great, right? Well, before we talk about why it might not be so great, let me just make the point here that there are plenty of other kinds of geoengineering techniques that are currently being looked at. Seawater could be sprayed into clouds, which would brighten them so that they shield more of the sun's rays. Tiny glass beads could protect Arctic ice from melting. Iron dust in oceans could feed phytoplankton, and that would then pull carbon dioxide out of the air. So these are all geoengineering techniques, and they all have... Potential risks associated with them, but the only one of the geoengineering techniques that have the ability and by nature are made to cross nations' borders is the solar geoengineering technique we're discussing today. So if we're spraying sulfur aerosol over America, but we're ignoring Canada and we're ignoring Mexico... What is the sulfur aerosol doing to Canada's weather and Mexico's weather? Could the sulfur aerosol affect wind patterns and rainfall for our neighbors to the north and south? The sulfur aerosol in the atmosphere is definitely going to have effects and consequences on other neighboring nearby nations. So I have a bunch of questions that are swirling around my mind that I would love to have answered before we ever hitch our survival onto solar geoengineering. I'm just gonna rattle them off. Number one, will this solution only be available to wealthy nations who can afford it? Could this technology be hoarded by rich nations and kept from the poorer ones? Will there be mass migrations from poorer countries to wealthier ones who have the solar geoengineering capabilities? Because this is a quick win by nature and it's cheap, will this effectively enable our nation's leaders to stall on making progress towards their long-term climate pledges? If solar geoengineering goes wrong, who is going to suffer the most? Will a single nation have the power to make decisions that shape the fate of the entire world? And finally, the big one, and I'm not the only one wondering about this, but could solar geoengineering spark war? So far, the United States is in the lead on research into solar geoengineering. China, India, and others are also working on it. But I'm not the only one concerned about potential war associated with this quick win technology. Members of the US intelligence community and other national security officials were worried enough, just like me last year, to plot how to avert a war triggered by this type of climate engineering. They had role-playing exercise where they practiced and managed tensions that would be unleashed if solar geoengineering actually went put into practice. So again, this specific type, of geoengineering in which we're misting sulfur aerosol into the atmosphere, as well as all other types of geoengineering, are still theoretical at this point. But my hope for you after listening to this episode is that you keep your ear out for more as the technology grows and improves in the coming years and decades. So that's it for today's headlines. I hope you learned something. Scratch that. I know you learned something. I hope you have an amazing weekend. I will see you on Tuesday for our regularly scheduled interview. If you need me, how to get me is in the show notes. I'll see you Tuesday and take care.